The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Steve Stewart. He's a financial wellness coach and podcaster. His website is stevestewart.me. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, you are a financial wellness coach. Kind of tell the story briefly of how you got to be the financial wellness coach you are and, and your whole path in financial trouble and getting out of it. It really started with getting out of debt first was the, the plan. I'd learned about how money really works back in you know the early 2000s uh, where I hadn't, hadn't a clue. I thought I knew how money really worked, but then I realized there's some more to it than, than just you know pay your credit card every, every month. So I got interested in a lot of Dave Ramsey's principles, followed those. My wife and I, we both got out of debt by paying off, uh, we got out of consumer debt uh, by paying off her SUV in 2007. And at that point, I realized that I needed to get out there and speak a little more to the public about what I had learned, which is debt is not your friend. People say it's a tool, but I, I found that there's a lot of other options. And so I've been teaching people that in a very uh, variety of ways. For the past, uh, it's almost 10 years now. So what are some of the things you offer? You have a podcast, you have other programs. Just tell us briefly about what you offer to help people get out of debt. Sure. started out with one-on-one coaching. I still do that today. Blogging, which I don't do as much today. And then podcasting. I had a podcast that I retired in 2015. It was called Money Plan SOS and had 200 episodes. And there's a lot of great information there. And I, I launched a new podcast, but I've kind of let that one go right now as I pursue some other ideas. But uh, I'm, I'm expecting to get a few more episodes out for that. It's called No Debt, No Credit, No Problems. And I also do some speaking as well. So let's kind of take a broad view of uh, Americans and their relationship with debt these ways, uh, these days. Are things getting better or worse? Are people being more responsible with debt, less responsible? Kind of give us the overall picture. I do think that there's some more education out there available to the everyday person that wasn't there before. But there's also a lot of information. A lot of people can get confused by that. You know, you can hear the the message that you're supposed to use your credit cards a lot so you can build your credit. But then if you do that, you tempt yourself into getting into some debt. So what advice do you take? You know, which way do you go? So I think that there's people who once they realize that they can either A, do better by choice, or B, they realize they're in a situation they've got to get out of. Those are the ones who actually start to do something about the personal finances. I don't think people just fall into you know, common sense principles of money unless their parents have taught them. And I don't think that parents have been doing that much lately. And I fault myself for that as well. So there's kind of an imbalance of power here. On one side, you've got the banks and the credit card companies who are pushing credit on TV and direct mail and online all the time. And then you've got the kind of smaller personal financial education industry, I guess you might say, both in schools and other places. So is this an unfair matchup as far as the kind of advice people are getting? I don't know if I'd call it unfair because 
I would see that you know Visa, Mastercard, the big banks are are obviously putting their advertising money and their dollars behind either doing some financial education in schools or obviously the advertising for their products online and on TV. Whereas the information that I had been providing through the podcast or my blog, I mean, that is absolutely free. So what advice would you as the normal everyday American take? It's going to be the one that you're sitting in front of when you happen to stumble across it or the one that you find on Google. So I would think that maybe the biggest disadvantage for somebody like me is I've got to battle the big banks who are going to have a bigger presence on a Google search than myself. But I think that the person can, you know, they can obviously contact me a little bit easier than uh, somebody over at Citibank. Yeah. So recently the amount of credit card debt went over $1 trillion, which is the biggest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. What What is your sense of that increase in credit card debt as to kind of be kind of consumer confidence, being by people buying things they want and need and be able to pay it off? Versus kind of desperado debt, people going into debt to kind of avoid being foreclosed on their homes and paying a lot of interest. Kind of what is your sense of the the makeup of that uh, debt pool these days? I don't know how much of that is necessarily more people going into further debt other than the fact that prices are a little bit higher than they were last year. And they obviously are higher than they were 10, 15 years ago. So maybe it's just the numbers inflating as well. Trillion, of course, is a, is a, is a really big number. But there are people out there who... Again, have not realized that you know staying out of debt, and that's really what I'm all about. It's probably their best method of growing wealth uh, when you eliminate everything on the liabilities column of your net worth statement. So, is is that number out of line? Is that uh, you know there's more people obviously using more debt products, more people are using credit cards today than they were 20 years ago because credit cards and debit cards. I mean, credit cards, yes, they were around 20 years ago. Debit cards, not so much. They are now uh, a lot more prevalent in people's uh, pocketbooks. So is it an imbalance there, too? You know, I don't know what to say of it because that's not really where I deal with the individual so much is they'll bring me their situation and we'll try and figure out the strategy to help them further their financial education and get them to put themselves in a better financial situation overall. What do you say to people who say, I want to go into debt to improve my credit score? If I don't use my credit cards, uh, my credit score is not going to go up. In fact, I want to go into all kinds of debt, student loan debt, car loan debt, mortgages, because it's going to make my credit score go up. What do you say to people like that? Uh, I try to convince them the fact that that is just the mantra that's been you know, prescribed over and over and over again, that yes, you can use your credit cards to build your credit score, but to what end? And that's the question you have to ask is what are you, what is your goal with this credit score thing? Everybody puts this emphasis on a three digit number that I think is unfounded. Yes. You want to have, you want to be credit worthy. Yes. You want to be credit worthy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a great credit score. You'd be credit worthy with a good credit score, which is average. And you could be credit worthy without a credit score at all, but everybody's focused on getting that three digit number as close to 850 as they possibly can. And I think they spend a lot of energy, a lot of time, and a lot of money to try and achieve that when there's really no payoff. The benefit I think that people think they're going to have is, you know, I'll get a lower interest rate on my car loan or my mortgage. And that is absolutely true. However, if you stay out of debt completely and you don't pay any interest, you have more of your dollars to invest and save to pay cash or even put a bigger down payment on those things, which then, of course, lowers all of those other types of bills. How can you become credit worthy? without paying attention to your credit score, what you just said. Well, in the old days, they used to do something. Well, I'm going to 
speak specifically about mortgages because I don't believe in borrowing money for cars anymore. But in the old days, you used to do something called manual underwriting. And that, I think, was a – it was a decent operation. I think it was okay. But I'm sure I can, I can understand why banks don't like it because it, it was a very time-intensive process of, you know, me as the consumer brings the bank – all this information, and they have to manually verify with the employer. They have to manually verify with the electric company or the car company who I had my loan with, whatever, that I'm making my payments. So the manual underwriting would be expensive on the bank's part to process, which I, I can agree then to this credit score number as far as a bank who wants to just a quick, easy, efficient way of evaluating someone's credit worthiness. The, the problem with that, though, is that a FICO score, a credit score, it doesn't measure all of your all of your bills it just measures your debts so if i pay my rent all the time that doesn't factor in my credit score because it's not a debt if i pay my electric bill all the time that doesn't factor in my credit score because it's not debt all those you know my cell phone bill doesn't factor into it so there are, there is a new service out there and there might be a couple more coming out who do that third party verification for the banks and we as the consumer pay for that on our end but it's uh, i know one company it's called eCredible and it'd be about $100 to get that verification done. And then you present that to the lender and they can, and, and they probably will consider it to you know, prove that you're credit worthy for a loan. E-Credible, by the way, is spelled E-C-R-E-D-A-B-L-E, just to make sure people get So it's a place where you can establish a credit record, as you say, based on paying your bills and not your credit score and based on uh, the amount of debt you've taken on. <clears throat> so you are finding that people are using eCredible to be able to get uh, credit, as even if they don't have a good or, or much of a credit history at all? Well, the option is there. The problem is it's kind of like a Social Security card. You kind of get one when you're born. So with a credit score, you're going to get one as soon as you sign up for a credit card or a car loan. So a lot of people may not take the effort to go completely debt-free like me. I have no credit cards, haven't had any in eight years. Uh, you know, we have no loans. In fact, my wife and I, we just paid off our house in December. So we have no debt and we are going to eventually have no credit history for which there will be no credit score to base a number on. So are people using it? I think there's a, a small segment. I think as more people realize that the possibility is there and that the FICO system is a one-sided measurement of debt, that I think more and more people will realize, I don't have to play that credit score building game. I can just do smart things with money and I don't have to worry about a credit score. Well, that's very uh, courageous of you because most people <laughs> would not go completely uh, off the grid, I guess you say, my credit-wise, because right. the, the feeling out there is, I don't know when I'm going to need credit, but when I need it, you can't create a credit score. It's got to be built up over time. And so you're kind of saying you're never going to need credit under any circumstances, basically, and that's why you don't need a credit score. Well, let's say that my wife and I do move someday, and we are planning on it, and we will need a mortgage, which I am anticipating we might need a small mortgage to go up to the type of home that we're looking for. I'm not going to worry about a three-digit number today. And if in three months uh, you know, I want to get a loan, and I'm supposed to have this great credit score, well, then I'm going to go and I'm going to look for some other type of you know, manual underwriting process, or I'm going to go to somebody who's going to accept my uh, my uh, e-credible report as proof that we've made payments. You know, what? one thing you don't see in your credit score is anything that has to do with your income or your wealth. So, you know, what, what is a bank going to base your your uh, availability for a loan on? Your credit worthiness, which I think if you've got a lot of money in the bank, they're more likely to loan you money even if you don't have a credit score. Mm -hmm. Now, you have a mantra. Tell me what your mantra is and, and how does that 
inform the kind of advice you give people? The mantra is simply four words. It's pay attention, not interest. And I think pay attention is the key there because if you pay attention to raising your kids, you're going to do better at raising your kids. If you pay attention to your career, you're going to do better in your career. If you pay attention to your money, you're going to do better with money. And so when I say pay attention, not interest, obviously what I'm saying is when you focus your attention on your spending and put an importance on your saving, you're going to do a lot better with money than the average everyday American who is living paycheck to paycheck. So you're finding most people are not paying attention. What, what is it that they're not paying attention to, That where their money is going and spending, or what is it that they're typically missing? Yeah, it's it's the spending piece, and, and I'm going to point directly at credit cards because it's the credit card is an unlimited way to spend money foolishly. We all have those impulse purchases that we want to make at the grocery store, at the checkout lane, or you know, online at Amazon. I'm always throwing stuff into a cart. Thank goodness that there's a place just to store it for later. Otherwise, I'd be in real trouble. But uh, we could you know, easily just say, hey, I want that and I want it now. Snap our fingers, order it online, buy it at the grocery store, and then go back home later and go, oh, I probably, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Whereas if I'd been spending it with cash, you know, if I'd been paying for it with cash, that would be a little bit different decision because it would be immediate, it would be right there, and it's finite. How do you actually pay attention to your money? Do you have actually have an app with you? Are you writing down everything you're spending? Or you have a budget? H- how is the best way to pay attention to your money on the spending yes. side? Uh, a monthly budget, obviously. Uh, my wife and I started with an Excel spreadsheet, but then we graduated to a program called uh, You Need a Budget, and people call it YNAB for short. And they do have an app for your phone, which is great because then you could be at the cash register, you could be at the gas pump, and you can open it up and you can see how much money you have available in your grocery category, in your clothing category, in your dining out category before you spend the money. And you can also then you can just enter that transaction right there at the checkout lane or you know, most of the time it's at the gas pump. I just pull it out. As soon as that thing clicks off, I save it and it's already been accounted for in YNAB. It takes away from my available spending and it's, it makes it very, very easy. Yeah, a lot of people aren't going to do that, but it's a good idea if you can, yes. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour uh, is Steve Stewart. Uh, He is a financial wellness coach, uh, podcaster. Uh, He helps people with all aspects of financial uh, management, particularly debt. A website you can find out more is Steve Stewart, spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T dot M-E. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. 
Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Steve Stewart. He's a financial wellness coach and podcaster. His website, stevestewart.me. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So you posted something with uh, Dave Ramsey uh, about what you call the 10 broke things. So explain what that is and tell me what the 10 things are. Yeah, I should probably lead up to how I wrote that post. I was taking my dog for a walk and I had a phone call from my, one of my clients. They were really frustrated with their situation. They were considering bankruptcy and they were saying things that I'm like, you know, we know better than this. There's these things that we say to ourselves and it's just this victim thinking. And I wrote this post, this, you know, God wants you to be rich. Or, or I'm sorry, this, uh, this, this 10 things that we say that keep us broke. And it's that mindset of things that we tell ourselves that really are not true, but we lead ourselves to believe them. So one of them is that I deserve and you fill in the blank. And when we say I deserve something, it's because, hey, we worked hard. So, you know, I probably shouldn't go out to eat tonight. Our dining category is a little bit low, but I deserve it. And that is, is one of those ways where we just... For, for exactly. spending money you don't have is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. Uh, I, I can go through more if you'd like. Yeah, go through. I'd, I'd like people to hear these. Sure. Let me go th- Let me go through the list. And the first one is I deserve blank. You just fill in the blank. Anything that you say I deserve is kind of an excuse. And if you, you deserve it if you save up and pay cash for it, in my mind. So, uh, But we use it usually to justify purchases that we wouldn't normally make. I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too in a middle-age crisis or I'm too broke to save money. I'm too whatever to save money is that defeatism where we're telling ourselves, you know, I want to save money, but I'm too, and you fill in the blank. And it's just, it, it, it prevents you from taking action that you need to take to be able to start saving money. You're kind of blaming your situation or other things that are outside of your control for your own failures, what you're saying. Yeah. And it's usually things that there's things they are not actually, you know, things that you can correct. Obviously, if you're young or old, it, it's not something you can correct. So it's defeatism there. Uh, okay. I did it to improve my credit score. And that's what we were talking about in the last segment, where we do things to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to use my credit card so that I can build up my credit score. And we can easily get ourselves into financial trouble if we use our cre- credit cards or other things that might. Uh, I remember one financial expert saying uh, she was taking a question from somebody who said that his daughter was 18. She had no debt. She had paid cash for this car and she was going out into the world. And the advice was, well, she needs to go out and get a loan on that car to build her credit score. And I just thought that was actually ridiculous. So I did it to, uh, to improve my credit score. That's going to definitely trip you up. Uh, number four, my student loan or mortgage is good debt. That's one of those things that mantras that have existed for decades where we say, well, it's a student loan. It's for my education. It's good debt. Well, a student loan is debt, whereas a paid-for education is what your goal is, right? So the mm-hmm. loan is actually a negative on your net worth statement. So I don't think there's anything, there's no such thing as good debt. I think there's bad debt, like credit cards, payday loans, things like that, and there's not so bad debt. 
which would be student loans and mortgages. So mortgage does allow you to buy a house over time and build equity, but you're saying it's still not good debt because it's a huge amount of interest over time. It's not so bad debt. (laughs) Not so bad debt. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Number five is one of my favorites. He told me I would blank, meaning I did it because somebody told me to. That's how my wife and I fell into our 5-1-year arm when we bought this house back in 1999. That was how we got ourselves into that 30-year loan after we refinanced it. Thank goodness that we were able to do all that. But when we take somebody else's advice because they told us to, we're either getting swindled or we're just making a bad choice. We weren't fully education, uh, educated. And I think so in this case, the key is the, the mortgage loan officer or the car salesman or somebody who's trying to push debt on you. Yeah. Or the brother-in-law trying to get you into Amway, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, number so don't, six. Don't listen to those kind of people is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number us, six. Because they've got their interest in, 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 at heart much more than your interest is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. As, as long as the education comes along with that, that he told me I would blank might be lessened. But, you know, if you just do something blindly, then we're all going to be in trouble because that's just the wrong way to make investments, to make purchasing decisions, uh, all kinds of things. Okay. What's the next one? Number six is the little man can't get ahead. How, how many decades have we heard that, Jordan? I mean, that's just something this, that... This is the victim mentality again, right? It's the, the, exactly. The, I'm against the man and, and I have no chance of winning basically right uh we feel that way about elections you know you say the electoral candidates and you know oh well my vote doesn't count the little man is being held down and we have no hope of escaping that so so how does going into debt uh, how does that justify going into debt well it's people's excuses for why they are behind why they're living paycheck to paycheck why they have such financial issues it's not taking personal responsibility it's Kind of, again, projecting it out to the world, it's their fault. Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Okay. Uh, no, another one is I can write off the interest on my taxes. Yes, that is a financial strategy, but that should not dictate the decision-making that we have when we buy a home, when we do whatever it is that we're going to be saving interest or, or saving taxes because of interest or whatever, uh, whatever strategy we have. Uh, I would even go as far as saying, don't make the decision for saving in your 401k based on the tax savings. You got to make sure that you're getting into a 401k because you're saving for retirement. That's what the vehicle is built for. The icing on the cake is that you can write off interest or that you can, you know, defer the interest or I'm sorry, defer the taxes on, on that 401k or that IRA. A lot of people, people keep mortgages and even refinance their mortgages because they say, I've got to have write-offs. If I didn't have my mortgage, I'd have no uh, deductions. So you're saying that's flawed thinking. Exactly. We could have kept our mortgage for another two years, but we decided to pay it off last year. So no, I don't have any deductions in that line of our schedule a on our tax return, but we have more money every single month that goes towards our goals, saving for our daughter's college, for her car, for her wedding and all that stuff like that. What, what I always say is that deductions are overstated the importance of them because you're getting a deduction at your tax bracket. So say you're in the 25% bracket and you get a mortgage deduction, you're still paying 75 cents on the dollar after that. And I'd rather have no deductions and, and no, uh, yeah. no 25%, uh, uh, I mean, no 75 cents on the dollar that, that's leaving my, my place permanently. That's the idea. A lot of people do crazy things to get deductions and you're saying that you should do less of them and have more of your income and less of your debt. 
Yeah, I go back to if if it makes sense in your personal finances, then do it, but don't make the decision based on taxes because that's just going to steer you in the wrong way to make that decision. Yes. All right, and what is the eighth uh, saying that people get in trouble about debt? Asking how much a month. That's the one that you usually get when you're buying a car. You know, how much is it going to cost me a month? Well, I can extend that term out to make it match your budget any way you want if I was the car salesman. If I was seeing that you said, well, I, I've got $10,000 to spend, so maybe I can get you a $20,000 car and it only costs you how much a month. But then in six or seven years, when that loan finally comes due, you're going to want to get out of that car into another one. It's depreciated. And you go back and you say, okay, I need another car. How much a month? So, so it's justifying an expense that you really shouldn't be justifying is what you're saying. You say, oh, it's only $200 a month. What's the big deal? But in fact, a lot of that is interest that you're not getting anything for particularly. Sure. And I'd take it a little bit further in saying that when you talk about the price, now you can negotiate on the price, not the financing terms. So if I can get the price of something down, obviously it's better for me overall. If I can negotiate People often the confuse that when they were negotiating for a car, they'll do the price and the financing at the same time, which gives the car dealer an advantage. If you do the price first and then the financing, you have a better chance of getting a better deal on the car. Yeah, exactly. All right. And what is your ninth one? Number nine, I have a retirement covered social security will blank. <laughs> you know, and that's relying on Social Security. I, I do think a lot of people are coming to realize that Social Security is is really not the answer. Uh, though I do think a lot of people are using that in their calculation for when they can retire. And I just say, don't even think about Social Security as a retirement option, because that obviously ends when you end. And if you're, and you know, my I'm married, so if my wife were to be counting on my Social Security and I pass away. Where she has, she has her own social security to, that comes in when she will retire. Then we have a real problem if we haven't saved outside of this expected check from the government. So you're saying that people say, "What well, doesn't matter if I'm in debt because Social Security is going to bail me out," and you're saying Social Security is not close to <laughs> bailing people out or really giving them a solid retirement income. Right. Now, I want, to, I want to take Social Security out of the equation altogether and make it really important to open up a 401k with your company or to open up an IRA, a Roth, or a traditional, either way, to, to do a SEP or a simple, to save for retirement yourself because it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like life insurance. You buy it outside of your, your company. You know, if something happens and you're no longer with the employer, then you still have your account. Whereas Social Security, we don't know. It's really, you know, it's in the hands of the government and we know how they handle money. So I'm a little nervous about it, though I don't think anybody should really worry about it. They shouldn't be losing sleep, uh, losing sleep over it. And what is your tenth uh, saying that justifies people getting into debt irrationally? It's, uh, yeah, it's, a one ten, it's one of the ten things that we say that keep us broke. And that's when I blank, then I'll be able to blank. Postponing the choice to do something today because we're saying when I... Or when something happens, then I'll be able to whatever. It's okay to have goals. It's okay to have dreams and, and expectations for the future. But when we say, uh, when I get to this part of, you know, when I get that raise, then I'll start to save for retirement. Well, we can do some things now to get things started. We shouldn't be delaying it for something that might happen in the future. Or even if it probably will happen in the future, we should probably be taking action. And when we say... When this happens, then I'll be able to, you know, fill in the blank. We're just delaying taking action. And 
today is the best day to start making decisions on improving our personal finances. And on a bigger scale, I say when I win the lottery, then everything will be fine. This is what I call <laughs> white knight syndrome. Is that some event is going to change me from all my bad habits and I'll be I'll be set after that, basically. So yeah. this is kind of extreme version of, of uh, white knight syndrome, I guess you might say. I like that. So in summing up all 10 of these, basically you're saying people should not come up with these excuses or justifications for going into debt is what, what people are doing. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Very good. We don't take our we don't take our own responsibility. We don't take action to kill off our debt to start saving for retirement. Then we're just going to keep welling in our our day to day life of living paycheck to paycheck, and that's just not living. That's just existing. And you're saying that the financial institutions, the credit card companies and mortgage companies and so on, are kind of um, enabling might be the right word of all that, and saying they're they're handing you they're handing a lollipop to a kid saying eat it right. They're basically they're not interested in your financial wellness and getting out of debt, basically. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's their business model. They're going to try and push off their products on us. And it's our it's our decision and responsibility to decide to use them or not. And if we're going to use them, use them responsibility or just forget them. Indeed. All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Steve Stewart. Uh, he is a financial wellness coach and podcaster. Uh, his website, we can find out more about what he does, is Steve Stewart. Spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T dot M-E. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Steve Stewart, is a financial wellness coach and podcaster. His website, stevestewart.me. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thank you, Mr. Goodman. It's always glad to be here. You offer a virtual budget course. Explain how that works and how can people use that to get control of their financial decisions. Yeah, I found that I boiled down all of the components that you would need for a budget to work and boiled it down into one simple thing. And the way to get to filling out this budget, to creating this budget, is really it's more of an exercise. And it teaches you a lot about yourself once you've gone through the, the steps. It's a series of videos that you you go through, and I, I have assignments in most of them as well to to take action on, you know, okay, take a look and see how much are you spending a month on your electric bill and on your groceries and things like that. Okay, now let's write all this down, make a list, prioritize it, talk with your spouse, make a list, 
from A to Z, you know, front to start, top to bottom, most important, least important. And it's in that exercise that you do that changes your mindset on what's important. And it comes, makes you come to a realization to what's really, truly important to you. Uh, if I were, Jordan, if I were to ask you, you know, if, if you could only make enough money in one month to pay one bill, what bill would that be? What your priority is. Yeah. Well, you want to keep the lights on. So utilities are good to, to pay. I would okay, say. So for one month I've paid my utilities. Okay. However, there's something more important than that. Now I don't tell people what their budget should be, but I'm going to tell them there's one thing that trumps anything else on the budget. I would put down food. an emergency fund. No, it's food. If you don't have an emergency fund is what I'm saying. If we're starting out fresh and we're like, oh, I'm waking up to the realization I, that I got to do something. You have here. to have food. Yes. yes. Yeah. You got to have food. If you don't make the mortgage payment, they're not going to throw you out in two weeks. But if you don't eat in two weeks, you're going to be in a real bad situation. <laughs> yeah. Ga- gas for the car would be really, really good, but you got to eat, you know? So it, it, it's that exercise that I walk people through in this virtual budget coaching course that wakes them up saying, okay, I realize now that I've been putting my credit card bills as a higher priority than save than um, uh, you know paying off this other debt or whatever. It's it's it it makes you realize that hey, I thought this was important, but when I really look at it, my values come out and it comes out on this sheet of paper. It's really a spreadsheet that that you'll end up creating. So this is something that they get at your website, Stuart SteveStewart.me. It's something that they download, or how does it actually work? Right. It's a series of videos. So once they make the purchase, they just get a link and then they can watch the videos at their leisure. I see. Very good. Now, one of the things we just talked about was an emergency fund. Um, A lot of people don't have an emergency fund or a very small one. How do you build an emergency fund? And and maybe just give me an example of when you needed to use your emergency fund. (laughs) I'll give you a better one. I'll give you a story of when an emergency fund came in handy in an emergency, but we actually didn't end up using it. But there was a real benefit to it. Uh, I don't know if it was six or seven years ago, we went to a friend's house on uh, July 4th. They had this farm with this, there was actually a little creek with a chain link fence in the middle of it. On one side was a log cabin, and on the other side was a swimming pool and a a shed and and a place where everybody was hanging out. And this is where we had the food set up and everything like that. Well, at dusk, they went to the other side, the log cabin side, and they were setting up to shoot off fireworks. So my wife, being very protective of our daughter, who I think was about seven, eight at the time, you know, we looked around. We're like, okay, we can sit underneath this tree. Uh, we're sitting behind a bunch of people, and we're really in an area where if anything were to, you know, go really wiry on the other side of that fence, then we're in good shape. I mean, it was really overkill. But of course, guess what happened? There was a firework that shot. It, it, it tipped sideways, and it shot through the the chain link fence through the crowd and hit my daughter in the chest. Mm. We didn't know what happened. I mean, it just happens like that. You yeah. don't, you don't know what to do, but you just instantly have to react. Right. Cause here is our daughter. She's laying on her back. We're like, what the heck just happened? And my wife, you know, she gets something. She realizes it was probably fireworks. She gets something. She douses my daughter's chest. We're looking for, you know, burns or cuts or anything. Luckily, and I'll, I'll put everybody's, uh, you know, mind at ease. It was one of those army men, parachute guys they hadn't quite got to the real fireworks yet they've been shooting off a couple of those fun ones for the kids and uh <clears throat> so she got beamed in the chest really hard so there was yes yeah, a bruise there but no broken ribs no cuts no no burns so we were lucky but here's the here's the thing about the emergency fund <clears throat> excuse me 
We had, at that time, just gotten out of debt about a year before, and we had what we call a fully funded emergency fund at the time. You know, we had more than $10,000 sitting in the bank. It wasn't in investments. It was just sitting there for the day if something were to happen. And I know for a fact, at least for the men, maybe not so much for the women, but for the men, that when something like that happens, your mind first goes to, oh, gosh, how much is this going to cost me? You know, you're worried about the expenses. You're worried about this stuff. I didn't worry one millisecond. I didn't have to worry one bit. When that thing happened, when that, then that firework hit my daughter in the chest, I didn't think about the money at all, which was weird because my wife says I talk and think about money all the time, and I do, but I didn't think about it at all. It was, we, we were able to focus on our daughter 100%, no distractions. We were able to focus on her at that moment of where, when it was most important. That was because I knew that if something bad had happened, if we had to call flight for life, bring it, bring it on. This is important, and the money's sitting there. It's so the idea of the emergency fund is it gives you peace of mind and flexibility to handle a situation quickly if, if need be. Absolutely. When a car breaks down, it's not an emergency. It's, an, it's a big pain in the butt, but it's an inconvenience. So it's going to take your mind off of the worry part of life and let you focus on more of the proactive things in life and the positive things. So how do you build an emergency fund if people are living as you say, paycheck to paycheck or kind of barely making it. And where do you put it today where you're going to earn something on it instead of having it sit there in the bank earning zero? Well, I wouldn't focus so much on earning with your emergency fund, though I'll, I'll get to that in a second. You were asking how do we get an emergency fund put together, and it starts with the budget. It starts with, okay, I know I'm going to get this much money in this month. How am I going to allocate it properly so that I can put money into savings and make that a priority as well? But if you're not doing the budget, we're going to go back to what we were talking about in another segment. We're using credit cards. The impulse purchases just come left and right. They're very easy. It's, it, it can blow your budget. Whereas if I've got a budget and I pay attention to it, then I'm going to be able to funnel money to my emergency fund. And I have no problem just throwing it in your regular bank. The interest rates today are so low that it really doesn't matter where you put it. What you want it to be is liquid. But I will say that if you get a good chunk of money, like we've got money in our checking account, for a very small emergency, you know, car breaks down, thousand dollars is there, very easy. But the bulk of it is in an online money market account because it will get better interest. Though it's it's nothing, nothing even to mention what the rate is today because it's just. What happens if you get an inheritance or some kind of a windfall, uh, insurance settlement or something big? Uh, how much of that percentage-wise should you keep aside um, for an emergency fund, and then the rest of it invest? What, what would you do with a windfall? Uh, it depends on where you are in your finances, but if let's just say you're starting fresh. I mean, you've been broke all your life. You're, you're just getting by. Maybe you're young and you're getting into your career now and you really haven't had an opportunity to build up a, a decent amount of savings. I would, I would easily pull 10 to 15 grand aside. Most emergencies that will put you down, not just be an inconvenience, but put you down would be like a layoff or a medical emergency. You know, they're going to be 5, 10, you know, 15,000 is usually going to take care of just about anything. I mean, you could total a car and buy a new one the next day. So 15000 would be nice to set aside, though that may not be the right number for you know, this person versus that. So it really depends on their, their situation. The rest of it then has to be funneled towards what your goals in life are. You know, Do we have debt we want to pay off? Do we 
you know, are you about to buy a house? How much down payment can we put on it? Have we saved anything for retirement? If we have, how young are we? How old are we? There's a lot of variables there that, I mean, we could go into some discussions here if you wanted to, but it really depends on the person and, and their situation. And is this something you help people with uh, one-on-one and consulting to make these decisions? Yes, absolutely. We have to realize where they are, what their goals are. Um, I remember a friend of mine talking about, he was coaching somebody who their goal was to have enough money to buy marijuana every month. <laughs> and do we, mm-hmm. do we judge them for that? There's, you know, we don't agree with it obviously, but you know, if that's their goal, then we're going to help them reach that goal. And hopefully we can also kind of turn them in the right direction for some other things as well. And uh, we're going to, we're going to get them there. So how do you work as a financial wellness coach? Do you have a retainer? Do you do it on a monthly basis an hourly? How do you charge people and what do you actually give them when they go through your process? It's usually an hourly rate. And what we do is get the information together on where they are, find out where their goals are. That usually comes out in the discussions, especially if they take my budget course. They come to realize this is important. We need to make this a priority. And then we start to make changes. I had one client who had 16 different bank accounts. You can just imagine the complexity of trying to manage 16. And a bunch of them had nothing in there. They opened them because they got you know, use of a debit card or or whatever, just to be able to pare that down to two or three and give each one of those accounts a name, you know, give it a purpose, really relieve them of some stress. And it was, it gave them the ability to then focus on some other things. Sounds like it was a Wells Fargo customer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember, but it's possible. (laughs) Now, speaking of, speaking of windfalls, um, you have kind of a religious aspect of your financial view, and you, you think that God wants people to be rich, and you're actually writing a book on this. What evidence do you have that God wants you to be rich? Oh, well, I could point to one one whole chapter inside the Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 25, and it's the parable of the talents. And in that story, there, there's a lot of things in that story that I didn't learn for the you know first 40 years that I was growing up, but I always knew there was something else there. And if you look at the story, it talks about how there was a man who had a, I'm going to say it's a man with a small business. We're going to make this relatable to anybody today. But he had a business and was doing really well. He had employees, but he had to leave town for an extended period of time. Maybe he's going to take care of family. We don't know. But the idea is he was leaving town. He had to leave it in the hands of his managers, his employees. So to eat to his top three guys, again, I'm dumbing this down for uh, just to make it easy for everybody to understand, Mm -hmm. but to one guy, he gave what they call five talents. And a talent back then was a, a large sum of money, a very large, we'll just say $5 million. And to another one, he gave $2 million, And then to the third, he gave a million. And he said, here, I'm going to go away. You guys are in charge. And the guy who got $5 million or five talents was able to double that amount before the owner came back. And the guy who had two talents was able to run the business and double it before his owner came back. But the guy who had one talent he just decided to take the easy way out and bury it and not use it at all. So when the man came back, he saw what they had done, and he's saying, oh, okay, you did. You had five talents and you doubled it? Good and faithful servant, I'm going to put you in trust of some more of my business. And the second one, same thing. You doubled it, I'm going to put you into more of responsibility with my business, which means they're going to have more assets at their ready in their trust at, at their ready so that they could then do more things. Whereas the one who had one talent, 
he did not have the gumption to go out and actually do something productive with it. He kind of hid his talent and he was punished for that because he didn't do the right things with that money. So if God is saying, this is a story that I want you to learn, I want you to go out there and be profitable, be productive, and God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need more money. Money's irrelevant. But if he's saying in this lesson that he's rewarding people for being good and doing good things with money and that we're able to manage more with it, then that's why I think God wants you to be rich. What you do with the riches, though, is where the problem lies. Are you doing it for your own self-good? And I think there's a, uh, there's a, I think there's an aspect of business which is good. A lot of people talk about, you know, big business is evil. No, I think business is good, and we could talk about that more in another segment if you feel like it. But if we're doing the right things with money, God's going to entrust us with using more of it, which obviously we're going to have the benefit of being able to do more things, and uh, we're not just going to live in a shack. So a lot of people are saying, don't take advantage of the opportunity that comes their way. And they bury their talents in a certain way. But if you use your talents, then more will come. That's basically what you're saying. Yes, but I also come from a background where I feel like I've been told I should live like a pauper and give all my money away over the years. And I just have come to find that that's not true. And I'm not going out there to try and make a million dollars for myself. I'm trying to go out there. And if I'm going to make a lot of money, I'm going to use it wisely. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Steve Stewart. He's a financial wellness coach and podcaster. His website, stevestewart.me. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Steve Stewart, is a financial wellness coach and podcaster. Uh, He's based in Missouri, uh, and his website is stevestewart.me. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thank you so much. This is fun. We're having a great time. I think we're going to help a lot of people here. So one thing we want to talk about is how to live 
without a credit card. It almost sounds like un-American. How do you rent a car, travel on an airplane, uh, you know, all the things that people check into a hotel without a credit card because people say that's requirement. So how do you live, or unless you carry around wads of cash, how do you live <laughs> credit card free? Yeah, even my grandma, she takes cash with her to pay for the hotel. She'll put the res- reservation on a credit card, but she'll pay cash for the hotel. So it can be done. We know that. Uh, what what you said before is, you know, it seems like we can't do that. Like in America, you have to have a credit card. But I've found and have proven over the past eight years, you can get by with cash, checks, and a debit card. And pretty soon we'll be able to use Bitcoin too and avoid any of those debt products like credit cards. Uh, people worry that... Let's start back with the problem is that there was a time when the only options that you had to rent a car was to put down a big deposit or use a credit card. Uh, you know, and, and if you were tying up a lot of your cash, that was a problem. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they need to have their cash available in their bank account. Well, nowadays, the credit card has been – this old mantra that debit cards are less safe than credit cards, it's false – there have I, I can point to resources on Visa MasterCard's websites that show that you're still under that zero liability policy if you use your debit card like a credit card. So a debit card can do everything that a credit card can do except get you into debt. I've rented cars before. In fact, I've been to a few places where they have a sign on the counter that says, we do accept credit cards. I'm sorry, we do accept debit cards for car rentals. They will, of course, put a hold on some of the available funds in your account, but they were kind of doing that with credit cards too. You just you never saw that because it was never part of your statement. So that pre-authorization is going to put some money aside for them in case you don't make the return. But you know that that always went back after a while uh, after you return the car and it you're, was in you're good basically condition. saying you can do everything with a debit card that you need to do with a credit card as far as making reservations and and so on. So that's why you don't need a credit card. I have. I have for eight years. We have taken fantastic vacations to a horse ranch out in the middle of Wyoming. There's no internet. There's no cell phone. There's horses. You ride all day. It's amazing. And it's not a cheap trip. Okay. So we we get the airline tickets. We rent the car. We have a hotel stay there the night before because uh, we've got to get into town before we actually go to this place the next day. Food boarding for the dog, all these expenses are paid with either cash, check, or debit card. I haven't had a credit card in over eight years. Now, what some people would say you need credit cards to get frequent flyer miles or rebates or various kinds of perks that they throw at you. What would you say to people who want, who are credit card uh, rebate and, and frequent flyer junkies? Well, I have points with Southwest because I fly Southwest. I get points. Uh, Hilton, honor points. Uh, IHG with uh, Holiday Inn. So I collect points. However, I don't use a credit card to do so. Now, I know there's a lot of travel hackers out there and people who want those cash back rewards with credit cards. There, I, I Obviously, as a teacher of people trying to get people out of debt, I can't use this product myself. And I'm not going to encourage somebody else to do so as well. I also see the danger of using credit cards because what it's doing is the fees for credit card usage are higher for a vendor than if somebody were to pay you with cash or even a debit card. The, the, the transaction fees, or what they call the interchange fees, are lower for debit cards than they are for credit cards. So if I go to Target and I use a credit card, the vendor, Target, has to pay more money simply to process that transaction. So the prices are going to have to be inflated to cover that expense. Whereas if I pay cash, obviously their cost of doing business is a little bit lower. 
Now I know what everybody's thinking about right there. Uh, you know, right now after I say that as well, just a little of me, I can't do much about that. Okay, but I I can still point to the fact that I've lived without credit cards, which there's no chance of me going into debt with a credit card if I don't have any. And I've been able to do everything that I would need a credit card to do. So why do I need a credit card? I'm not so, going to try and get the cash back and inflate the uh, the prices of a vendor. Plus, those rewards are paid somehow. They're paid for somehow. And that's coming off the backs of people who are in debt. And they're cycling that, that credit card debt. They're revolving it month after month. So you're saying it's better to avoid the temptation of getting into credit card debt than it is to get rewards and rebates and you can get them for the most part anyway without credit cards yes if you don't use a credit card you can sometimes negotiate the price which is going to bring the price down so the cash rebate wouldn't even make a difference uh from your credit card company you know earning the points things like that so again i can do everything with a debit card and cash that i would do with a credit card now you've had a podcast in the past which you called money plan sos mm-hmm. and now you've got a new one called no debt credit no problems. What what kind of things are you doing in the podcast and what can people learn listening to your podcasts? My show is really all about personal responsibility with your money. I, I call it the show. It's, it's personal finance for responsible adults. For those people who really do want to make a decision to change their life today as far as their personal finances. And I, I will bring up topics that maybe I don't believe in. Uh, my, my last episode that was actually released was about trading options. And I think I did it because I really wanted to understand it myself. And I'm sure that there are members of my audience who are like hearing about options. This is something I need to do. So I will have an interview with an expert in that field and we'll talk about the pros and cons and why they think it's a good idea, uh, what are the dangers, and let the listener make their own decision as far as is is this something that they need to know, is this something that they can use, or is it something that they can stay away from? Speaking of that, what do you suggest for people who want to get started investing who don't have a lot of money. I mean, the brokerage firms and financial planners typically only want to deal with people with tons of money, if not more all the time. But for the average person who's not in that kind of realm, how do you recommend that they get started investing beyond their emergency fund? What's amazing is just the past three or four years, there have been things that came out that make it very easy for someone to invest, to begin investing. Uh, There's companies like Wealthfront and Betterment. You can open up an account online. For as little as, I forget how much it is, the minimums, but you can just go to their websites and find out. But I'm doing an experiment with Betterment. I just put $100 a month, and I open it up as a Roth IRA, and I'm going to let it let it grow and see what happens. And I've got that thing tweaked all the way up to being as risky as possible. And it didn't take hardly anything at all. It tied to my checking account. It's automatically withdrawn from my account. It's already accounted for my budget. And it's diversified, probably way over-diversified for a small account like that. But the... The vehicles and the ways for us to be able to start investing to get started, they're available now. Um, you could even use an Acorn, uh, an app called Acorns, uh, which the app is free. You sign up for the account, and it has this wonderful algorithm that just takes out a little bit of money from your account with your permission, obviously, every day. So you know, a couple dollars here, thirty cents there, and it will then eventually invest it in your name, and it's all yours. It's all yours to invest with uh, as you please. Since we have about a minute left, just kind of summarize the difference it would make in people's lives to follow the advice you've talked about here as opposed to not following it. Peace. <laughs> Peace and hope, uh, you know, and, and a purpose in life. Once we got our money in check, 
all that stuff I didn't have to worry about anymore. Yes, we still have to maintain our budget. Yes, we still have to pay attention to our spending. Yes, we need to set goals and save up for them. But the the amount of stress and worries, especially with that with a paid for house now, uh, it's just so wonderful. So it gives you control and peace of mind. And as you say, if something goes wrong, you've got an emergency fund, so you don't have to worry about things as much as if you have debt. It kind of weighs on you uh, and, and takes away from your peace of mind. Is what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Steve Stewart. He's a financial wellness coach and podcaster. You can find out more about him and his services at stevestewart.me. And thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Steve. Thanks, Jordan. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you.